Welcome to the Linnaean Society of London. If you know the extension of the... Please wait a moment. I'm Sandy Knapp, I'm from the Natural History Museum, I'm the President-elect of the Linnaean Society. Well I think actually it's quite exciting being the third female president because it means you're not the first, so you're not expected to break ground, but actually I think it means that the society is well placed to embrace diversity and actually that's one of the things that I would like to do while I'm president is think about diversity and think about how we really serve the community, not only just the community of fellows but actually the community that we reach through Linnaean learning and all the other kinds of things that we do because we are a society that it encompasses lots of different people from lots of different walks of life and as such it's quite representative and quite diverse and so celebrating that diversity and using that to help make diversity come to the rest of science, I think is something we can do in a unique kind of way. And I'd like to welcome you all to this meeting. And here today, we're celebrating two things. We're celebrating the 250th anniversary of the founding of the Linnaean Society. This is our 230th year. And we're also celebrating the 1904 admission of the first female fellows to the society. So our next speaker will actually talk about those, those women who were admitted to this society in 1904. Um, Dr. Rich Bowden is a fellow of the society. He's at the University of Plymouth. I collectively had to call these women something because I was referring to them as the 15 originally, which sounded like terrorists. And then it was the women of 1904, which sounds like an MGM film from the 30s. So I went with Vitrici's Scientiara, and I thought Linnaeus would like that. It just means victorious women of the sciences. What I do want to just point out is a little bit about them as a group because they were very diverse, which surprised me again. I thought these would all be upper-class women, but they were not. They were mostly in their 40s, although the age span was relatively wide. They were mostly from London, as you would expect. Travel was not easy in 1904. And they were mostly daughters of men involved in the church or medics or people involved in law. We don't know much about their mothers because obviously women tended not to have careers at the point they would have been born, so that didn't happen. The first two I want to talk about as a pair because they worked together and that was nice. So we know a lot about them. We know they used to come in and they used to sit just about over there. About four rows from the front over on this side was where they used to sit. They used to sit together. Miss Lister was the daughter of a fellow. Her brother was a fellow. She was the niece of the Lord Lister who sort of pioneered antiseptics during surgery. Her biggest achievement within the society was one of equality, which I think is really nice. In that era, what you have to remember is that the etiquette was that men wore top hats, gentlemen wore top hats, and ladies wore a hat. And when they came into a building, the men would take their hats off, but the ladies wouldn't. The ladies would come into the meeting room with their hats on. And in the very first meeting after they'd been admitted as fellows, they were sitting down over here, and she took her hat off. And Miss Lorraine Smith was sat next to her and sort of said, what the hell are you doing? Because this was a major faux pas in that era. And she said, we are not women in this room. We are fellows, and fellows have no gender. And I thought that was a really wonderful quote because it's still... Something I feel is relatively true, my own experiences anyway, of being a fellow of this society, all of the fellows are equal. I've never felt any kind of internal hierarchies, not that I've experienced anyway. And I thought that was really very true of what she said.
My name's Athena Donald, and I'm a Professor of Experimental Physics at the University of Cambridge and Master of Churchill College. My own discipline of physics, the numbers just start low, even at A-level. In other subjects, the fall-off comes later for lots of different reasons which have to be disentangled. Professor Donald's been at the Cavendish Laboratory at the University of Cambridge since 1983, and she became a professor in 1998. Her research is, she is a physicist, and her research focuses on the, using ideas of soft matter physics to study a wide range of systems, both in synthetic and biological origin. She's been the master of Churchill College since October of 2014, and from 2010 to 14, she was the University of Cambridge's gender equality champion. She's been a member of the Royal Society Council, where you do have to attend lots of meetings, and served on numerous of their committees. She was the founding chair of the Institute of Physics Biological Physics Group in 2006 to 2010, and was a project director of the Institute of Physics Teaching Biological Physics Project. She was a trustee of the Science Museum Group and remains a member of the Science Museum's advisory board. Since 2013, she's been a member of the Scientific Council of the European Research Council, and she chairs the Interdisciplinary Advisory Panel for the um, Research Excellence Framework. She writes occasionally for Guardian Science blogs at Occam's Typewriter, but actually Occam's Typewriter is a source of many, many interesting blogs by Athene if no one has looked at those. So I urge anyone who hasn't looked at those, please do. So I'd like to invite you to give us our keynote lecture. Thank you very much. is something that is increasingly talked about, that feeling that you, you're going to be found out. If you try and do something, you will fall flat on your face. It will be deeply, deeply embarrassing. Um, I think of this as stage right, and I still suffer from imposter syndrome. Of course I do. I think most people do, if they're prepared to admit it. But I think of it like stage right, so, so that if I'm not suffering from it, then I'm probably going to be a bit complacent and not do a good job. Um, and it's probably not a bad thing to have. Um, what I try to say to, to young students or whatever is if you're asked to do something, then someone is saying, here is a vote of confidence, go out and give it a try. And it's important to think, what are the consequences of it going wrong? I know in the days of social media, consequences can be pretty miserable. But in your own little circle, often, if you give a, a seminar and it turned out to be rubbish, it's not the end of the world, unless you let it be. So. Um, I think it's important not to let imposter syndrome sort of hold you back. My name is Maria and I'm a botanist working at the Royal Botanic Gardens Kew and my work is predominantly the inventory of African and Malagasy grasses. I would say that it's okay to be you and do what you want to do without seeking permission. I think it's one that's difficult for quite a few young women. I'm Erica McAllister. I'm one of the curators of the Natural History Museum looking at flies and fleas. Because I was a middle child, I, I was not pushed into anything because my parents really didn't know what to do. And at the time, I kind of went, oh God, do I know what I want to do? And so I did exactly what I wanted to do. So if I could go back and tell every child to do exactly what they want to do, things work out. I didn't know I could be an entomologist and work at the Natural History Museum. Those two things didn't know. So just carry on doing your passion. Our first speaker this afternoon is a colleague of mine, Dr. Erica McAllister, who is a senior curator for flies and fleas at the Natural History Museum. 
As well as her commitments to fleas and flies, she's also very heavily involved in public communication of science, both within the museum and also externally. She's participated in um, is things that I've never been asked to do, which is really annoying. Night lives, nature lives, night safaris, and children and adult dinosaurs. I bet you didn't know they had adult dinosaurs. <laughs> she has presented a Radio 4 series on insects entitled Who's the Pest? as well as appearing in many other both television and radio programs. And she's recently published a popular science book entitled The Secret Life of Flies, which is full of everything you wanted or didn't want to know about flies. But Erica will talk to us about fieldwork. And I'm a bit worried about this because I've been in the field with Erica. <laughs> Hello. Um, a group of students were just about to turn up. We'd, we'd done the thing that uh, supervisors do. We got lost on our first day. We came out of the jungle looking like idiots slightly feral, and all the students are like, are you going to be looking after us for a month? And they all after the machetes go, of course. <laughs> now, to be fair, buying machetes is still one of the best things you could possibly do when field work, when you go to shop and I'd like six machetes, please, and that's great. Um, but one of the things they don't tell you when you go home, and, you, and everyone's like, God, what were you doing? Cutting up snakes and whatever. And I'm like, no, actually, I'm cutting up plants. Because plants harbour some of the worst things you could possibly have and that is caterpillars. So actually, I'm more worried about deadly caterpillars in the rainforest than I am about jaguars. I just can get myself covered in muck from the moment I start. This isn't just muck. I am an entomologist, and we use various baits, and that's a little bit of bait smeared on me. I'm not gonna tell you what the bait is, but it was personal to me. <laughs> Um, Evelyn Achievement, she um, suffered from an age that still didn't let her into uh, a lot of societies uh, doing what she wanted. She wanted to become a vet. Um, luckily for us, she got turned down. She went away, the war happened, First World War, and she came back and she was the first um, female hired at London Zoo and she ran the insect house. And from there on in, history is done. She was an amazing woman. She encouraged everyone to bring her new insects in. She worked with the community to show them what was going on. She did all sorts of things. And then she got the travel bug. And she explored everywhere. She was amazing. She went to the South Pacific so many times in all those areas. So she brought back not even the subject she was very interested in, which was beetles and butterflies. She collected everything. So she really did understand the spirit of field collecting. And we have loads in our collection, Natural History Museum and the Flying Collection, of flies that she's brought back that have now been described after her. Evelyn Cheeseman said that we, we carry on and do our work, and the thing is, we never retire. So the whole thing about us doing this, us doing our field work, us collecting, is that the specimens don't retire, and neither do we. Thank you. celebrating the admission of the first female fellow, but we're also, I think, celebrating the fact that diversity in science is really, really important. As natural historians, we know that diversity in ecosystems is incredibly important. We know that diversity makes for strong, resilient ecosystems, and the same is true for communities of people. Diversity makes us stronger, diversity makes us better, and it also makes us able to, to confront 
and achieve those things which are challenging for us in today's society, not only in science itself, but also in society. So I think we also today, the third thing we're celebrating is just diversity. I'm Dr. Emily Grossman. I work as a science broadcaster, a writer and educator. I think science needs a diverse array of people from various different backgrounds, from different cultures, and certainly different genders, and also different personality types. Because science isn't just about being logical and analytical and solving problems, but it's also about being sensitive and emotional, what I call the three C's, compassion, collaboration, and creativity. And those three C's are as important in science careers as they are in any career, and they're all accessed in my belief, and a lot of research shows, through being able to access our own emotions and our own feelings and our own sensitivity to allow us to be compassionate in our work, to allow us to collaborate and work well with others and to allow us to use our creativity and our imagination and our intuition in the way that we solve problems. The advice to my younger self would be never give up, keep trying, keep going, to pursue the things that I love doing and to never let anybody tell me that I can't. I think I took away from today that um, the Linnaean Society has a real history of women working with it, um, women members, women fellows. The take home message for me is that there is a will. You know, it's not just me complaining, having experienced inequality or discrimination or whatever. It's like everybody, male and female, recognizes uh, work needs to be done and how the Linnean society could uh, lead with example, which is basically something that it's very needed. It really feels like things are finally starting to happen. What's very important is that we, we have to start at a very early age to remove these sort of prejudices that are present in society about science in general, but you know, especially the natural sciences. I guess I would tell my younger self to take it one day at a time and just just go with it, just go with it. And, and actually it's sometimes you always feel, you always feel like you don't belong. I've always felt nervous, guilty. I've always wondered about whether or not I was doing the right thing. But actually if you just do it, then it becomes the right thing. And so I guess that would be the advice I gave to myself is just go for it.